Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Today I'm joined by the lovely Ursi. Hello. And the lovely Jenna. Hiya. And I am the adequate Harry. Hello. <laughs> uh, today we will be talking about the Dardem Brothers' new film uh, in which Adele Hanel, uh, doctor turns detective, and hopefully, if we have time, in this bumper episode, we will also be looking at Spike Lee's No Bars Hold as a group of women take on the Chicago gang culture in Chirac. But first, I would like to ask both Jenna and Ursie, if you could choose a film character to solve a crime with, who would it be and why? And you're not allowed to choose a detective or any sort of police cop or anything like no that. No Poirot. No Poirot, no Sherlock, none of that. Okay. So, uh, Jenna, would you like to go first? Okay, I'm going to go with Meryl Streep as Julia Childs <laughs> in Julie and Julia. Because I don't think you get enough of Julia Childs in that film. So I think she could have her own spin-off film. Okay. Where there's some kind of murder in the TV studio while she's doing a cookery Ooh. and she's got to solve it using various implements and like knowledge of weights and flowers and things like a whisk <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> a misplaced knife yeah exactly oh lovely lovely and Ursi who would you go um like many other questions that I answer in my life, I'm going to have to go with the dude, Jeffrey Lebowski. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> he is tried and tested in the field. Well, he can investigate so. a crime. He'll always have a white Russian for you. And if anything, the company of John Goodman as well with me is just great. Would you want that John Goodman character with you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Because I'll have, I'll have Lebowski with me. Yeah, so that's true. He's basically his deterrent. So it's fine. They're... Just their dynamic duo is going to investigate. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Nice. <laughs> nice. Any crime in particular? Uh, anything house invasion related, okay, I think, okay. really. Yeah, okay, that <laughs> makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, I would go for I would go for Tom Selleck's character in Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> and hear me out. So we have Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have Three Men and a Little Lady. Mm-hmm. I would ask Tom Selleck to solve the crime of why we have still not had three men and a little bride. It's been rumoured for years 
and yet it still hasn't happened. So he's going around studios in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Who's got the rights to it that's Who, not giving yeah. up? Who's not doing it? Mm-hmm. Who Who's the issue there? <laughs> is Ted Danston the issue? Because I, I was going to say, because, it's probably <laughs> Ted Danston. Because we, we need to solve this, and we need to solve it soon. <laughs> the world needs it. Exactly, exactly. Okay, let's move on. We are going to start by talking about Unknown uh, Girl, uh, which in which a doctor called Jenny refuses to open her surgery late in the day, and the next day a young girl is found dead. It's a very uh, very serious film, obviously mm-hmm. judging by the uh, mm-hmm. by the plot line. Uh, what what were your sort of an initial reactions of the film? It's very understated. I think that's in their style, isn't it, the Darden brothers? It's um, all like kind of handheld. There's no music. It feels very true to life because of that. And you. There's such lovely shots of her face and the kind of worry and panic she always has. You're very with her and her struggle yeah. the whole way through. Yeah, she's pretty much in every scene. She yeah, I like, was trying to think that. Yeah. I don't think there is a scene she isn't in. No, yeah. barely even a shot she's not in, really. Yeah, like it, it's definitely her film. Yeah. And she. Uh, and what, what did you think about her as a character? Do, do you think. Was she believable, first of all? I think so. I. It definitely could relate to her and her struggle to do what's good and also to try and look after herself and how she was weighing that up within the film. Yeah. I think that she kind of let that get too far and she put what was right and what was good ahead of her own personal needs. Yeah. And actually, I don't think you can be very good at what's good and right if you do put your own personal needs at the back. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and so I think that was quite an interesting thought as a doctor because you've chosen a life of helping people does that necessarily mean you should sacrifice yourself and how does that work? I So I was quite interested in that the whole way through. Yeah, I very much believe that she was a doctor straight away. Yes. Like, she had this... She very much put shield up and there was a very obvious scene early on in which she sort of said you can't get over-emotional and you can't get too attached. And, yeah, which and is you, funny because that was the opposite yeah, of what she did the whole yeah, rest that, of the way yeah, through. Yeah, she, she completely didn't go for that mm-hmm. apart from in a sort of right at the beginning so as soon as this event happens with with this girl turning up and dying she she then completely flips and, mm. and doesn't become the same character i think even though the even though the Dardenne might a- not actually agree with this interpretation of the character she almost has a saintly dimension to her yeah. and yeah. lets her one sin her one transgression define the rest of her time in um in that doctor's cabinet and uh, the rest of her life. And I think that she, in every Darden movie, there's there's always like morality is always a, ma- a major theme in it. And yeah. the dilemma is always the engine that kind of drives the movie. And her, her entire kind of goal uh, in this is to forgive, is to forgive herself and to actually find, to take responsibility about this um, horrible thing that happened about, you know, um, facilitating that girl's death effectively yeah, or the way she says it that like you know no if anyone should feel guilty it should be me you know yeah. that I, I killed her even though she didn't yes um, she often has that yeah. on herself and nobody else takes responsibility for that woman's death do you think do you think if you were in that same situation and obviously this is a incredibly difficult question but if you're in that same situation do you think you would feel that much guilt about not opening a door. It's not like she, yeah, she killed her. Kill her. It's 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 a case of you know, running difficult. late at the surgery, not opening the door because they're running late, and then finding out this shocking news. Do do you then do you then have this burden on you? Is that fair? 
I don't know. I think it's things that we do do naturally, though. You know, like sometimes you think, oh, if only I was there, then that person wouldn't have done that and then they wouldn't have hurt themselves or anything like that. Or like, oh, I should have offered to do that and then they wouldn't have burnt their hand on the kettle. Or, Mm. you know, you can always blame yourself for things like that. And I think that's only natural. I think her kind of... I think she's a little fragile with how overworked she is in that situation. We see, really, that she's taking on the burden of the kind of whole lower-class medical care in her kind of area she's offered this sort of flashy job in a swanky nice doctor's office where she'll treat people who have got money and there's a team of them but she refuses it due to this guilt over not letting the girl come in um and is just sort of working for very little money working all hours sleeping in her surgery the buzz is going at night and so i think she's kind of broken down by her grueling work schedule and kind of how depressing what she's seeing is on top of the guilt of this crime what what did you think of her as a because I I do think she massively overworks herself throughout mm-hmm. the whole film. What what do you think of her and the house visits? Because I thought they were really interesting. Because we, you know, if I normally go to the doctor, I'll just go to a GP surgery or, or go to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Don't normally have a, a house visit. So what what did you think about seeing the sort of house visits and how she was in people's homes? Do you think that changed the way you thought of her as a character in terms of? the way she feels and the way she she interacts with people well the um the house visits are are given in any in in yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. that in her pr- yeah. uh, profession anyway especially with the man who has onset diabetes yes. and can't walk um to feed the meter yeah, that yeah. will heat his house uh and i think that she the camera work in those kind in during those house visits is really interesting because we really do get close ups of her um having physical contact with her patients treating them and there's a sort of tenderness that goes into that yeah. there is uh, it, it, they're slow they're they're really lovely scenes and i think we see more of jenny uh, there in those houses than we do in her actual doctor surgery. It's 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 she's happy to do that. But I also think that part of it as well is you know her turning down her swanky job at the Kennedy Center and things like that. She is so burdened with responsibility over one person's death that she will be even in a in a in a in a saint way will actually take on everybody. Um, and will dedicate her life to them, and you know she's she's incredibly courageous to do, especially in an urban center like um, Liège in Belgium. Yeah, there's there's one point where there, there's a couple that come in, and she says, "I can't, I can't, I can't help you. Your insurance is fake." Mm. And they go, "Oh, but you helped my brother." And she goes, "But he was dying." And they go, "Well, that's not good enough." And then they try and steal a couple of things, yeah. and he gets incredibly aggressive. And you could see she's shaken by it, uh-huh. and that and that feels like that that could play out almost every day in the in yeah, the sort of surgery I mean, she's in. Yeah, there's a couple of people yeah. are quite physical yeah, that, yeah, that's her. true. That's and true. she is quite she's quite a small lady, yeah. but she really holds her own. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because she doesn't always come across as terribly confident no. when she's dealing mm. with people, which is kind of always the impression I've always got from any doctor, because you always want to fill in a safe pair of hands. Yes. Yeah. Um, but she, but she is quietly determined, and she's very tenacious, and you can see how much she's making a difference in these people's lives. You know, like the man with diabetes, she might be the only person he sees, um, and things like that. And the, the very beginning, the boy with cancer who sings her that song to mm. say how much he appreciates Oh, yeah, that's her. lovely. That's one of my favourite moments yes. in the film, actually. Yeah, I think that's really nice. I think all, all I would say is, do I, I 
think in a way the event while obviously it does change the fact she doesn't leave i think almost anything could have happened and she might not have left yeah i think i think in a way and it's hinted at when she speaks to a former mentor i think or someone that she did she did work for he goes oh you've changed your mind you're going to go and and sell out in a way and yeah. she sort of says like oh yeah well i've grown up now and i'm slightly different mm. and then and then this event happens and i think i think anything could have happened i think the the intern not coming back may well have been enough for yeah. her not to go i think she's she is almost always looking for something to stop her from going because when you when you see her going around and someone drops like someone gives her a waffle or someone gives her a cake when she's doing these home visits mm-hmm. She becomes a different person to the one she is in in the surgery. Mm-hmm. She be- she becomes someone that seems to really thrive off this work and seems to really love it. And I don't know if she could get that satisfaction by going into sort of the bigger practice yeah. with the money and the technology. I think she's plagued by like white liberal guilt yeah. quite a lot throughout the film. And you're right, I think anything could have tipped her over the edge to stay. But I wonder if actually... Although, yes, because she's got this guilt and because she does care, it does make her good for the role because, you know, people that need help need someone that cares about them. But almost potentially she's not strong enough and and she cares too much that she maybe she can't be delivering the best level of care as someone who could put aside that. Yeah. Like, like she's kind of saying at the beginning, you can't make a good diagnosis when you're emotional about things. Mm. I think she does have the tendency to become too emotional about things and maybe someone who is a bit stronger and could distance themselves more would be a better fit in that practice. Yeah, that's But true. I don't think she could pull herself away from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you, do you think... Do, do you think in terms of getting... In terms of the police and her relationship with the, with the police, do you think she goes massively too far or can you completely understand where she's going with it? Like, do you think she she looks into things way too much or do you think she... By the end of the film, do you think she has helped and, you know, sorted out this problem that she has with herself? I think the police throughout the film isn't mm, isn't effective. Okay. Isn't it doesn't look like they they're well no from her point of view the police is definitely not effective. They're not they're not making the strides in the investigation that she perceives that she is. So she's always trying to she's basically trying to compensate where there isn't enough effort mm. to solve solve that particular problem uh, and that can become a metaphor or an al- or a metaphor for any other problem that exists in society yeah. she is that she is ready to take on um the inspector Ben Mahmood only shows up on screen about four times yeah it's not a lot really yeah. yeah exactly um most of the time he's on the phone yes and the last time you see him he is berating her for um, taking it taking it too far, putting yeah. herself in danger as well, or harassing even um, Brian's family. So I think she thinks that she's doing the right thing. She thinks that it is her crusade, and if and nobody else will do it, then she will do it. She will take the whole thing on. Where and I think the Dardenne. The Dardenne try to be fair to everyone, but I think they are being particularly critical of the police department of Liège and yeah. their way of investigating the murder of an essentially an, an immigrant from what we are led to believe. Yes. Do do you think this is a do you think in terms of you mentioned fairness do you think they are fair in their sort of criticism of sort of 
the social aspects of the film? Do you think they do you think they go far enough in criticizing how people are looked after and treated and the insurance policies and the way crimes are solved and things like that? Or where where do you, where do you think that lies? I don't know. I in because I was thinking a little bit about this film like next to I Daniel Blake, which okay, we've recently yep. seen, and yep. which is very it's very strong on who it thinks the problem is that's making people. like kind of go through this terrible conditions of the welfare state and all that kind of thing you know it's very clear it blames Ian Duncan Smith it blames the conservatives in a big rant at the end whereas I don't think in this film it necessarily does blame anyone for this I don't think it pins it on the police as a problem they don't the only person that's in a position of authority is the doctor and she's trying to help so it doesn't necessarily point out where the problem lies that's that's causing this yeah see I um I'm glad you brought up Ken Loach, actually, because there's a lot of people that have said that the Dardenne are basically Belgium's Belgians version mm-hmm. of Ken Loach. And I actually completely disagree because Ken Loach has a very Manichaean view of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very black and white yeah. and you have good versus evil, which is one way of looking at the world, definitely. But then I think the Dardenne try and instill a little bit more shades of gray inside their narrative and their characters. They try and not really point fingers Ultimately, at anyone, at any um, level of society, they are just trying to tell stories. And by their own admission, they don't really have any political message. They, they let the audience take care of that. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're critics as well. But in my opinion, they are only there to maybe observe life yeah. or kind of film life as, as they see it as well in their urban environments, in their own country. And... I think it would be unfair to shoehorn them in any particular mm-hmm. okay. political yeah. or social message. I think they are genuinely trying to tell you one story and then whatever you bring to it, you come out with. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah, and it does. It lends itself to that with the fact that there is no music in it at all. It's all just the natural sounds, yeah. the way it's filmed, the, the lighting used. It does just feel... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Like, this could be a real thing that's happening at the moment in that, in that city. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, does anyone have any final points about this film? Um, I just wanted to quickly mention before we go into spoilers that I love that uh, Dr. Jenny is a smoker. I was thinking about that a lot okay. throughout the yeah, film. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's different in Belgium, but I would say that there aren't many doctors who are smokers who know all of those, um, you know, the, the health risks and all of that kind of thing. I think you'd be surprised. Maybe, maybe I, I would. Think but I love that she had this vice that, you know, yeah. even though she knew how bad it was for her and that she's painted as such a saint, she had this one thing that she went to for comfort that was kind of a bit destructive yeah Yeah. lovely so uh we are gonna uh quickly just talk about a couple of spoilers and then uh and then please do join us again because we've got another film to talk about we're going to talk about Chirac 
Um, so please uh, turn off now. This is your spoiler warning. <laughs> and we're back. So in terms of what we found out about the girl in the end, mm -hmm. do you, was that satisfactory to, to you? I think it's through the first half of the film, obviously you're desperate to find out what happened to her and you yeah. want it to kind of be a dramatic story yeah. and you really want to know who she is, who killed her and why. And then I think as the film goes on, that became less important to me. I wanted to know her name in the same way that the doctor did. But also, but more so it was important what was going on in the people who were living, who were caught up in this case and why that had happened. In the end, I didn't really feel like I needed a resolve because it's kind of obvious from the outset something tragic happened and she mm. had her head knocked in. And yes. um, that wasn't going to change anything. It wasn't going to change because she was dead, whereas they, things could change within the community. I think I was more interested in that as it went on. Mm -hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I have, I have a, when, um, when the final scene came along where the girls, am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can say. Uh, when the girls' killer is found out to be uh, one of Jenny's patients' father. Yeah. Um, and it was all tied to his momentary lapse and into into vice, basically. Uh, I I had like I had very conflicting feelings because at at first you have uh you have this man who really Jenny is extracting for a confession she is begging him to say it so he can liberate both himself and her. Yes. Very and much I was so. like just say yeah. it just say it you can do it. And then he he vacates the room and then goes into um her bathroom and then tries to hang himself. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but her first reaction was, is your neck okay? Yeah, not, she, not she, she instantly else, becomes the doctor again yeah, in that exactly. moment. Yeah, exactly. And I was, uh, I was looking at it going, you were fighting so hard. The camera was fighting so hard to prove to me your humanity. Um, and you as a character, as Jenny, but you are actually Dr. Devin. You will always be doc a doctor. Yes, yeah, doctor um, foremost. Yeah. Yep. And... Then my other, then it, it goes on, the man actually finally gives in and calls the police. And I think it's a great scene where she, he says to her, you can call the police now. And she gives him the phone and goes, no, you do it. You're, it's your responsibility. Yeah. Uh, because somebody finally takes her responsibility yeah. away from her. Somebody just, she transfers that. And then um, the victim's sister comes in, tells her her name. And I know that Dardenne are not really, like, we just discussed this before. They, they want to tell a story of life. They, mm -hmm. don't fans, they don't want to do political messages. But I was actually a little bit disappointed to know her name. Because okay. that victim was, yeah. I was yeah. kind of happy for her to be the, the surrogate for every other person out there that could be suffering. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's nice to know that somebody cared. And I feel like the story kind of ended and then Davin... Um, or Jenny, Dr. Jenny, sorry, she hugs the sister and that appears to be the end. I, th I, th I thought the hug was so crucial in terms of that, that boundary between sort of her being a doctor and her being separate that, yes. that she makes mm. very clear at the beginning. I think it's, so, it's, it's the opposite, that big hug at the end. It sort yeah, of exactly. removes Doctors that, removes that, that it, sort of boundary. Like, you know, they can't touch and hug like yeah. that. They can be very compassionate and very caring, but that kind of physical barrier is not broken and it's interesting that it felt like she kind of shed the doctor at that point and was like I'm just a person talking to another person about something that's affected both of us and I and we both need this hug 
And yes. Mm. Yeah, they both definitely need yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I really liked with the kind of attempted suicide, almost how pathetic it was you know mm. like uh, because the f- film's very kind of like day to day it didn't do like a glamorous suicide it didn't do like a big glamorous reveal of what happened you know he tried to do it in a grubby kind of place with a belt and it didn't work and he kind of just felt pathetic afterwards and I just, I just liked that. As yeah, it was, idea. it wasn't a Hollywood. It wasn't a Hollywood sort of, yeah. thing. No. And where, he where wasn't was hanging like, and yeah. she saved him. Yeah, and there's loads of tension like when the chair tipped yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it was just kind of very realistic. Also, I found that the conversation leading up to his attempt, uh, him, um, sorry, uh, Doctor Devon saying, "You need to, you need to tell this to people." And he's like, "No, because I, I, I have my job. I have my child. I have my wife. Who I'm trying to." Um, get a like have a second chance with and these are very real problems mm. this is not it's it's not just again we're talking about Hollywood or big budget kind yeah. of movies where somebody's like no of course I won't because I just don't want to go to jail and then you hear nothing else yes. no this man has collateral this man has a family and he has he doesn't want to go because it will ruin everything he, the way he the way the actor kind of delivers his lines is it's so naturalistic it's so it's so absolutely real that you can't feel you can feel sorry for him even though yeah. he has committed yeah. that oh, right you, you do. do feel sorry for him because it wasn't his intention and you can see that and you know you also can kind of see that he's acting out in a society and in, in a kind of way his life is constructed he doesn't mean to hurt her he just isn't valuing her as a human and and it's kind of symptomatic of the whole society he's living in rather than yeah it, it could it kind of felt like to me it could have been any of them it could have been the man who uh, got the prostitute for his dad it could have been the dad yeah there's so many suspects to. yeah it, yeah and it, and also you know they it's kind of an inspector calls kind of thing that it's not just one person's fault it's you know somehow it turns out that it's everyone's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. So that is the unknown girl, uh, which is on Curzon Home Cinema from today, I believe. Yeah, do so, give it a watch. It yeah, raises please, lots of questions. Yeah, do do check it out. Do give it a watch. Um, we have just enough time to now talk about Chirac, the new Spike Lee film. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Mm-hmm. I thought it had so much to it. I thought it was very on the nose, very much like like Spike Lee, like Spike Lee is. Do you, do you think it was too much on the nose at any point in this film? <laughs> um, I think, can I just interject? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think in order to supremely understand Chirac, there is, I, I just want to introduce uh, the play that oh, is, that is yes. based on, yep. if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's called Lysistrata. It's a 411 BC comedy uh, written by Aristophanes. And there's a couple of things that you need to know going into Chirac that I think is are vital components in order to understand uh, Chirac a little bit more is that the the play premiered in a way I don't even opened yeah. okay, yep. during uh, during the festival of Dionysus who is the Greek god of wine ritual madness <laughs> and fertility of all things okay and it was it the play opens with Lysistrata wondering where all the women are because they're not on time yeah. during her meeting in order to organize a, st- a sex strike in order to stop the Peloponnesian War. And then the the play kind of devolves into this strange, there's extravagant set pieces, there are wonderfully poignant monologues. And then in the end, once the men finally relent, they're actually climbing up the Acropolis, <laughs> which the women have taken over, okay. bent over, 
and burdened but completely by their erections. <laughs> and this is and I am talking about men actors men just wearing fake phalluses on their backs <laughs> trying to climb the Acropolis. This is Aristophanes at his best, I think. And he makes it he makes it sound ridiculous, but there I think there is just he taps into something that is just so ultimately so funny and so mm -hmm. true. And I think Spike Lee manages at least in a cinematic way, to really make it uh, a wonderful little adaptation and kind um, and reinterpretation, sorry, of that play. Yeah, and I think what's great is what Harry was saying about, you know, do you think it's too on the nose? I think, no, it's not, because okay. it's set within this play that's, and you know, it's in verse or in rhyming couplets the whole way through. It's it's so over the top yes. that it can be so over in its message. You know, it yeah. says it so many times. Yeah. I think the best example is John Cusack's preacher. Oh yeah, I love that character. Amazing. Who knew John Cusack could be a preacher? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think John Cusack's character is definitely also. He's a composite of Mike Corrigan or an, mm -hmm. a real priest from Chicago and Spike Lee. Like yeah. this, he is the mouthpiece oh, yeah. of Spike Lee. Yeah, he's the message. He's the you know, when he talks about he talks about Martin Luther King and he talks about Malcolm X and he talks about sort of reclaiming responsibility mm -hmm. and, and, and what's happened and race relations and everything like that. He he's he, he is Spike Lee at that moment. He's, yeah. He's Spike, saying exactly what Spike Lee wants to say. And I think another really great way that the message was put across was right at the beginning of the film with the song Chirac where, and with mm. the stats yeah. and the lyrics on the screen. It's like four minutes long. It's really, yeah. yeah it's and it's so compelling. It's so compelling and the message is so clear. It's, it's a great song and it really sets you up for where this whole film goes. I was going to say play then, because it almost does feel like a play. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it definitely is. I think uh, Spike Lee definitely has a sense of the theatrical mm -hmm. in him ever from the beginning <laughs> of his career. And he can do extravagant set pieces, he can do musical numbers, and he has this he has this blunt-forced rhetoric that is almost now impossible mm -hmm. to ignore. And I don't know about you guys, but what I really loved in this movie that I think... I think his stroke of genius on on Lee's um, on Lee's part is, you know that this is an adaptation of a play. You know because they have the iambic pentameter, yep. the urban patois. Mm -hmm. It's shot in a very theatrical way, and you're almost taken in uh, by its kind of lightly fictional world. But then, bam, they give you names like Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, yeah. the Charleston yeah. Massacre. Yeah. They take you completely out of it again. It's such a violent clash of fictional versus brutal reality. Yeah, it was so contemporary in its references of like Sandy Hook and Dylan, I can't remember. Dylan Ruth. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, who went into the church and murdered those people. Yeah. It, it was so relevant and it was so important, I think, to question where this was all coming from and... and yeah, I just absolutely loved this film. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, so this, this the the film came out uh, about a year ago in America on uh, yeah. I think it came out on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you still think it has that relevance now? The the time it came out in the states, it was during a week of very high profile shootings. Yeah, in the states, yeah. and then it came it comes out now with the election of Trump mm. and Spike Lee gave an interview with The Guardian with Bernie Sanders only, look, the last weekend yeah, where it was weekend, printed yeah. off. And it was... It's interesting because I think Lysistrata in general is always really relevant, yeah. I think. It's, it's, it's still a critique on 
humanity and mankind waging war on each other. Yeah, I mean, it's not changed, has it, from, what, 411 to now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a bit depressing, isn't it, that reality? (laughs) Um, What I really respect Spike Lee for doing was not... He didn't take on police brutality. He didn't take on um, kind of the war in Iraq or anything, even though the title might Mm. suggest that he could as well. But he took on black on black violence, which he calls self-inflicted genocide, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting because he's a very militant man. And if you look at movies like Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. he is uh, very interested in the race relations in the States, especially between white and black. But here he is the this is an emergency announcement that he does is squarely pointed at the people that are, you know, uh, victims of urban um, urban centered violence and black on black violence. And he's trying to appeal to everyone saying this does need to stop and we can all help you. You yeah. all have the power yeah, it's very to make it stop. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah, definitely, his message is kind of like, you know, we're doing their job for them, or, you know, these bad people that don't want us to succeed. We're playing into it. We're putting mm. ourselves in the state prisons and we're making them money. And, yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to end up in a hospital or we're going to end up in a morgue. And if we keep destroying each other, you know, they're just going to keep prospering. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a very, very powerful film, very powerfully told. And so imaginative, so kind of like, mesmerizing i couldn't stop watching this yeah. film yeah and i almost want to watch it again now <laughs> there are there are so many uh, i'll just finally add this and there be, um just to say this is the first time i've ever seen spike lee do a greek comedy um from 411 bc then add american performance african-american performance traditions and then add references to West Side Story, The Wizard of Oz, yeah, Patton, yeah. and Doctor Strangelove. I mean, I was watching it going, what else are you going to throw <laughs> at me? This is amazing. Yeah. I keep, there's like, you keep giving me stuff. And I, it's up to my interpretation, obviously, but it's just wonderful. Yeah, and but it's so easy to digest all that. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like it comes at you and you sit there thinking about it and it's too much and it's too much information. I found it, while it was loads of information, loads of references, you were still able to have that and bring it in. Yeah. Um, I just want to say as well, um, I love the strong female characters in this film. Mm, and they, yeah. they, they make the whole film and the whole storyline, and I think that that's crucial. And it's, great, and it's great to see that on film. And well. Tayona Paris, the woman that plays Lissa Strada. She's incredible. Wonderful. Uh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. She, she's going to be going on to do amazing oh, things. Definitely. She's an incredible actress. Yeah. Definitely. So we were talking about uh, Chirac, the new Spike Lee film, which is also on Curzon Home Cinema. Wonderful. Um, unfortunately, we have run out of time today, uh, but the films we've talked about are Unknown Girl, uh, which is on Home Cinema, and Chirac that we've just mentioned. Uh, if you enjoyed those films, or us talking about those films, uh, then please do check out Women on a Mission collection on Curzon Home Cinema. There's loads of great stuff on there, uh, so check it out. Uh, if you've not seen any of the films on there, just watch it, enjoy. Uh, next week, we've sent our very own Jake Cunningham to talk about uh, to talk to 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Sadly, since the interview, Jake has been hidden away in a beach hat in Clacton-on-Sea and will not be released. (laughs) Uh, And finally, if you are enjoying this podcast, uh, do rate us on iTunes or any other podcast provider. Any feedback would be great for us. Hopefully you are enjoying it. Uh, But from us at the Curzon Film Podcast, it's goodbye from Ursi. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Jenna. Bye. And it's goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.